officials say that Russia's renewed offensive to take the eastern Donbass region began Monday evening. Russia says the move is an important moment. This operation uh, will continue. It is beginning uh, another stage of this operation is beginning. Reporter Anna Chernikova in Kyiv provides us with the latest details. Russian forces are concentrated on the breakthrough of the defense of the Ukrainian forces in the Donetsk and Luhansk region. And later in the program, how one Ukrainian Holocaust survivor who once fled Nazi Germany is now escaping through that country to evade Russia. Today is Tuesday, April 19th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Steve Miller. Ukraine's military said on Tuesday that Russian forces are focusing on trying to take the full control of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions, strategic areas in the eastern part of the country that would allow Russia to link with the Crimean Peninsula it seized eight years ago. It's something that Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov acknowledged during an interview in India on Tuesday. The operation in the east of Ukraine uh, is Continuing to review, and I expect we'll have more in the coming uh, days. In Moscow on Tuesday, 
Russia's defense minister said that the United States and other Western countries are doing everything to drag out Russia's military operation in Ukraine. That's something that the United States and others say is an unprovoked war of aggression. However, speaking in Bulgaria, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba characterized the fighting taking place in his country as something important for the whole region. We in Ukraine, we fight not only for our safety, we also fight for you so that you will never face the tragedy of Russian attempts to make an impact on your country and to cause damage to your country. He urged Bulgarians to disassociate the positive role Russia had there, saying that today's Russia is different. This Russia destroys, kills, torture, tortures, rapes. This is not the Russia, this is not Russia that deserves sympathy and understanding. Reporter Anna Chernikova is in Kyiv, and I spoke with her earlier to learn more about what's taking place on the ground. Starting from yesterday late evening, we can see uh, a very uh, active escalation uh, of the situation in the Donbas and uh, on the administrative border. Ukrainian troops are keeping the uh, positions and uh, for the moment there are very heavy fighting going on. Russians are conducting offensives along, offensive along the entire collision line, the front line of the Luhan, Donetsk and Kharkiv region partly. The main Russian forces are concentrated on the breakthrough uh, of the defense of the Ukrainian forces uh, in the Don Donetsk and Luhansk regions. Uh, this is the main goal, as we can see for the moment. Uh, at least this is what uh, their movements uh, are telling us. Also, very heavy attacks uh, are, are on Kharkiv and the and Kharkiv region in general. So basically, we can see also escalation in the area of, of Izum, as Russian forces are trying to move from Izum uh, for, uh, forward to Slovyansk and Kramatorsk and basically to uh, close the circle. Um, uh, also, uh, huge escalation is happening right now in Mariupol as the Russian forces are trying to, to take uh, under their control of the South land. Uh, and also, oh, very important uh, not to forget about the South part uh, as the the Kherson region, as the Russians now concentrate their efforts on reaching the administrative border of the Kherson region, uh, where also Ukrainian forces are showing extremely uh, positive um, improvements and uh, very heavy fighting are going on at the moment. Anna, you brought up Mariupol, and that is a city that has been besieged for weeks now. Russian forces gave another ultimatum for those defending the city to surrender by midday on Tuesday. They did not. What can you tell us about what's going on in Mariupol, as well as the situation for the civilians that are still trapped there? Ukrainian soldiers continue to control Azov's south land, and uh, this, is, this is also true that they refused to surrender for the third time during this month. Um, very heavy, extremely heavy fighting are ongoing, and uh, Russia uses all type of, it seems that they use all type of weapons that they just, that they could, uh, including really a very super powerful anti-concrete bomb, 
So um, as we know from um, the uh, security service of Ukraine and intelligence service, uh, it reportedly uh, reportedly Russian forces want to level as of land with the ground, and uh, even despite the fact that they know about over thousand civilians, including children and newborns who are sheltering there, because this is for the moment the only uh, place where people actually can hide. Uh, and um, if we talk about Mariupol in general, again, over 120,000 civilians remain in the city, and uh, the humanitarian situation is, is just uh, as catastrophic as it could get. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, what we know for the moment that um, over 22,000 civilians are reported dead already. And this is only what we can get from uh, Ukrainian forces which are located in, in inside uh, of the city and also from the civilians and intelligence service information. And um, just, just a couple of minutes ago, we got also information that uh, Russian forces dropped a, a heavy bomb on the hospital, which is located just next to the Azovstal plant. Uh, again, we don't know yet if there are any casualties, but um, this is basically the situation which is happening uh, within the whole city. The city is under the attacks uh, with bombs, with artillery um, attacks, and uh, unfortunately, um, it really looks like that the city would Anna Chernikova is reporting from Kiev, Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you very much. The United Nations Security Council is scheduled to meet on Tuesday afternoon. Earlier, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres addressed reporters, noting that this year's Easter Holy Week coincided with the latest Russian offensive. The intense concentration of forces and firepower makes this battle inevitably more violent, bloody, and destructive. The onslaught and ter terrible toll on civilians we have seen so far could pale in comparison to the horror that lies ahead. This cannot be allowed to happen. Hundreds of thousands of lives hang in the balance. He called for a four-day humanitarian pause beginning on Holy Thursday and running through Easter Sunday on April 24th to allow for the opening of a series of humanitarian corridors. The World Health Organization says escalating fighting in Ukraine is also preventing emergency medical supplies and health personnel from reaching many people in need of help. Lisa Schlein has those details. Since Russia invaded Ukraine nearly two months ago, the World Health Organization has delivered some 218 metric tons of emergency medical supplies. Roughly two-thirds have reached their intended destinations, mostly in the east and north of the country where the need is greatest. WHO has released 15 generators from its warehouse in Lviv Tuesday with plans to deliver them this week to hospitals across the country. Speaking from Lviv, WHO spokesman Banu Batnagar says three will be sent to Luhansk and Donetsk in eastern Ukraine. That is where heavy fighting is underway and the power supply is badly affected. Other generators, he says, are destined for places such as Kharkiv, which has been devastated by Russian shelling and the besieged city of Mariupol. We will 
only move the generators uh, to their final destinations where we can ensure the safety of our personnel uh, and the precious cargo uh, they are transporting. These generators will help to meet the sort of minimum energy needs of medical and surgical units and referral hospitals where power supply is either limited or, or non-existent. Bhatnagar's access to a reliable power supply is critical, noting even a momentary power failure can have serious consequences for patients. He says providing care in this dangerous environment is becoming ever more difficult. As of now, he says, WHO has verified 147 attacks on healthcare facilities, ambulances, and medical personnel. He adds at least 73 people have been killed and 52 injured. Attacks such as these, he says, are hampering efforts to reach the people who need help. An increase in fighting in certain parts of the country could really threaten our supply chains uh, in and out of some of the affected areas. And to mitigate this risk, we are ramping up our donations to the Ministry of Health. We're also assessing the possibility of pre-positioning supplies in additional locations to sort of build a network of warehouses to reach affected areas. Mariupol has been subjected to heavy bombardment by Russian forces since the start of the war. The city has been demolished. Thousands of people reportedly have been killed and thousands more remain trapped. Batnagar says WHO fears the worst for the health system of Mariupol. He says no one has access to the city. But, he adds, WHO is positioning generators and other supplies nearby. This so it can bring in life-saving medicines and equipment the moment this becomes possible. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Killing 
Brad's information, as always, must be fact-checked. Another speaker, Bektor Iskender, runs Kloop, a blogging website he started in 2007 to counter state-controlled media in Kyrgyzstan. If governments are going to block websites, he says, the more the better, because that encourages people to start using VPNs and other methods to seek independent sources of information. The worst situation, I think, is, the, is when a few media outlets are blocked, but like 95% is available, and then people just don't care about the ones which are blocked because they still have most of information available. But when you have like 50% of media um, content blocked, or like, then people start caring. Catherine Mangu Ward, the editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine, says while social media sites can play an important role in disseminating unfiltered information from sources on the ground, it is important not to lose focus on who is doing the censoring and why. I, I think people can really get caught up in debates about, you know, misinformation on Facebook and, you know, who's gatekeeping Twitter, and they can forget that there is this much, much more serious threat, which is authoritarian states just... You know, bottlenecking true information about really, really important issues like Russia's role in Ukraine right now. Billionaire Elon Musk appeared at the conference hours after announcing a $43 billion takeover bid for Twitter. The co-founder of electric car manufacturer Tesla said he would change the social media platform, including allowing users to edit tweets after posting them and making Twitter's algorithms open source. Philanthropist and Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates launched his upcoming book, How to Prevent the Next Pandemic. He urged developed countries collectively to spend $1 billion a year to prevent future pandemics by creating a team he called Global Epidemic Response and Mobilization, or GERM. The team would be made up of 3,000 doctors, diplomats, policy, and communication experts who would work with the World Health Organization to contain any future pandemic contagions within 100 days. In an unusual move for the conference, TED head curator Chris Anderson started by asking the assembled crowd and those watching online who would donate either 1000 10000 100000 or $1 million to five organizations helping with humanitarian relief in Ukraine. Although nobody raised their hand for the million-dollar-level donation, many went up for $100,000. A total of $2.15 million was pledged by attendees to help relief efforts in Ukraine. Craig McCulloch for VOA News. Vancouver, British Columbia. Stores in the Turkish city of Istanbul, once filled with Russian and Ukrainian shoppers, are now experiencing hard times because of the war in Ukraine. The ongoing conflict is also causing prices of food and fuel in Turkey to rise. VOA's Bezad Mohammadi has that story. The war in Ukraine is inflicting havoc on the global economy. Turkey, which has close economic and trade ties with both warring nations, is feeling the strain. The cost of food and fuel has skyrocketed. The national currency is still under pressure after several significant losses in recent months. In Istanbul's Laleli district, the shops, which are usually bustling with international traders and tourists, are much quieter. We had a lot of customers from Russia and Ukraine. We used to do very good business with them, but after the war, things got worse. The textile industry, which is a vital part of Turkey's economy, is particularly at risk. Industry representatives say Ukrainian and Russian traders cancelled more than 200 million U.S. dollars in textile and leather orders in the early weeks of the war. Turkey's trade with other European countries such as Belarus, Moldova and Romania, as well as Central Asian countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan,
Russians and Ukrainians made up 70% of our customers. Because of the war, Ukrainians are no longer coming. After all, they're leaving their lands. The Russians also stopped coming because of the rubles depreciation. We lost 70% of our sales. Meanwhile, refugees from Ukraine continue to flow into the country. According to Turkey's Interior Ministry, nearly 60,000 Ukrainians have sought refuge in the country so far, while thousands of Russians have also entered Turkey since the conflict began. That has pushed up the cost of housing. Our countrymen are feeling the rise in prices. It used to be possible to find a rental apartment for $100 to $150 a month, but now it is $300 to $400. With no end to the conflict inside, Turkish business industry watchers are pessimistic. Whether the war continues or not, the coming months will be difficult. Even if they say the war is over, given the devastation of Ukraine and the collapse of the Russian economy, the effects will continue for many years to come. Behzad Muhammadi, VOA News, Istanbul, Turkey. Eight decades after fleeing Ukraine to escape Nazi Germany's invasion, a Holocaust survivor found herself fleeing again, this time through Germany, to escape Russian bombing in her hometown of Kiev. Reuters' Zachary Goldman rounds us out. At the border between Poland and Germany, Ukrainians fleeing the Russian invasion are aided by Red Cross staffers as they board buses to their next destination. The war has displaced millions, but these elderly civilians are in a special category. They are Jewish survivors of the Nazi Holocaust. And eight decades after that war upended their lives and ended millions more, war has once again arrived on their doorstep. It is something of an historic irony that this time the German government is helping transport these Jews to safety. Olaf Hagenauer is with the German Red Cross. They were happy to be here and our volunteers and colleagues are happy to be back here. This is not the end of the road. The journey continues on to Berlin and then three more stops where they will be handed over to be cared for. A combined effort by Jewish humanitarian groups and the German government brought Holocaust survivors such as 98-year-old Reza Valyushkevich to a Jewish elder care home in Frankfurt. She remembers the last time she had to run. Who were we running from? Well, there was a war. The Germans were attacking and we fled. There was a front and we fled from the war. We were running from the war. Her son, Vadim, said he would have stayed in Kiev, but for his mother. Anyway, we had such an opportunity. We decided to go. The operation bringing the survivors to safety is a delicate one, both because of the logistics and the trauma of the victims. Rudiger Malo represents Germany at the Jewish Claims Conference, a body responsible for reparations to victims of the Nazi genocide. It is clear that the Holocaust survivors are reminded by what they are experiencing now of how and what they experienced before as children. And we, the Claims Conference, feel the deep and profound obligation not to abandon the Holocaust survivors this time as they were then over 80 years ago. For Raisa Valyushkovich, it's another chance to arrive somewhere safe. I have found a second home here, and I feel good. I am well welcomed here. Thank you. She never thought she would become a refugee again.
Zachary Goldman of Reuters News. That'll do it for us today. Be sure to stay up to date with our continuing coverage, not only on Ukraine, but news and events from around the world. You can do so 24 hours a day at voanews.com and on our social media platforms. Just follow VOA News. On behalf of our entire Flashpoint Ukraine team, thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Steve Miller. Be well, be safe, and good night.